and a delight to be with you. I was secretly invited to Kathy's party yesterday, but I couldn't get off from work. I tried. Um, so I would have been here had I not been working. And uh, even the idea of me working at this age is just ridiculous. But I do work now. And uh, so what's more important, though, is we are here to hear from the Lord. And I do really believe I have a word in season. I want to talk to you this morning about how to renew your strength. And so let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you that you watch over your word to perform it. We thank you that your word is living and active and powerful, and, and it will change our hearts and our lives. And so, Lord, as I yield now, I pray for the Holy Spirit to fill me. He's the teacher of the church. I pray that all of us would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and heart to receive. And, Lord, for those that are weary among us, for those that are fatigued and tired, God, would you renew their strength today? Would you teach all of us how we can mount up with wings like an eagle, run and not be weary, walk and not be faint with your power within us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to share a very, very familiar scripture out of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Many of you know it. It's in plaques. It's on cards. It's uh, in every Christian bookstore I think I've ever been to. I see this verse. And so I'm going to read it. And then I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about how do we renew our strength. Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon, oh, let me read it because I have other translations in my notes. Sorry, I, I should have been more prepared. Well, that's all right. Let's get the mistakes out early in the morning and then I can relax. Woo. All right. Isaiah 40, um, verse uh, 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So that's the verse I want to talk about. And there's so many things in this verse that I love. If you look at the verse, um, it says we receive, we receive strength. How many of you know we need to be strengthened? We are living in a world where you go outside and it zaps your strength and your energy. And so we need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So I really love the word. It says that God will renew our strength. And then it says that we can mount up. Um, eagles are magnificent birds, as you know. I'm sure there's a flag behind you. It will have an eagle on top of it. It's our bird uh, of the United States of America, the bald eagle. And um, eagles are massive birds. Uh, they live, some of them, 60, 70 years. They have wingspans that are just incredible. If you've ever seen an eagle or watched a documentary or the TV, um, they are massive, beautiful, beautiful birds. And so it says, well, mount up like wings of an eagle. And you'll never see a wing, um, an eagle flapping in the wind. They soar. And so when God gives us strength, it shouldn't take all our work and effort. We should be able to soar and rest in him. So I love that he strengthens us. I love that it says that we get strength, we mount up. I like the idea that we can run and not be weary. Now, obviously, at this age, I don't do a lot of running, uh, but I didn't run when I was in my 20s. But it's good to know I can if I have to. I can run and not be weary. And then it says we can walk and not faint. So I love all of that in this scripture except one word. There's one word in this verse that I do not like, that I wish I could just take a white out. For those that are my age, you know what that is. For the young kids, you just hit erase or delete. I don't like the word wait. And the only way any of this happens for us, the strength, the renewal, the mounting up, the running, the walking, no, not being weary, 
It happens with the word wait. We need to learn to wait on the Lord. And the problem with the world we live in, everybody is in a hurry. We don't much anymore wait for anything. Um, in my day, you waited, you know, for everything you needed. Now we can drive through a drive-in and get a full dinner prepared for us. We can do our banking online. I don't even have to drive to my bank. I take a check and I put my cell phone over the check and it deposits to my bank account. No longer do I have to wait in line at the bank. I don't have to wait for food. I still have to wait at the DMV. Can I get an amen? I don't know that that has changed. And I'll tell you just a real funny story. When COVID hit, my, uh, I, gave, I sold one of my cars to my daughter-in-law, and so we had to meet at the DMV. And because it was COVID, they were only taking a certain amount of people. We got there two hours before they opened, and there already were 100 people in line. And they were taking about 110 people. We didn't make it. And so I went back home and we met another time. But if something's important to you, you'll wait for it. We wait at the doctor's office. Sometimes we have to wait to see our dentist. So we need to understand that if we can wait on man, we certainly need to learn to wait on God. And it doesn't just mean you sit there, you know, tapping your foot, rolling your eyes, twiddling your thumbs, saying, okay, okay, I'm waiting on you, I'm waiting on you, what are you going to do? The word wait just means to look and expect and remain in hope. Let me give you the definition again. The word wait, it means to look with hope and expect, expectation. So when you wait on the Lord, for me to wait on the Lord, I spend time singing, maybe reading the Psalms, listening to a teaching. For me, that's waiting on the Lord. And then learning to be quiet. Because we all know how to talk. Most of us talk too much, especially the women. Men, don't you say a word. But it's true. Women talk a lot. And so when we go to God, we've got to be careful that we don't do all the talking. We have to stop and learn to listen and say, Lord, I'm just going to wait on you. Is there anything you'd like to say to me? Is there any direction you want to give me? So we need to learn to wait on the Lord. I have eight points this morning. It won't be long. I promise I won't speak more than maybe 30, 40 minutes at the most, um, unless the Holy Spirit moves on me. But there's a couple things about an eagle. So I decided when this verse came to me to study the life of eagles. And um, so the first thing I noticed, and I want to mention this to you, eagles were created to rule and reign in high places in heavenly places. You're not going to see an eagle pass your car on the parkway. Flap, flap, flap. Um, you might have to watch out for some other birds, but not when it comes to an eagle. They soar and were created by God to rule and reign in heavenly places. So are we. And so I just want to mention a few verses. Hebrews 3.1 Hebrews 3.1 said, Brothers, we are partakers of the heavenly calling. And then in Ephesians uh, 2.6, it says we are seated with Jesus in heavenly places. And then the third one, which I need to work on a little more, Colossians 3, 1 and 2 tells us to set our, our mind. Oh, good, I can read it. This is nice. This is pretty high tech. If you therefore be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. Look at the next verse. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And, you know, people will say, oh, she's so heavenly minded, she's no earthly good. I totally disagree with that. If I am heavenly minded, I will be effective on the earth. And so that's a cop out. The more we pray, the more we worship, the more we give, the more heavenly minded we are, the more God strengthens us on the earth 
that we happen to live in. So we were created like an eagle to rule and reign in heavenly places. And we have to learn to set our affection on things above and not things beneath. The second thing, and I'm going to take quite a bit of time with this because it's very important to me. Eagles uh, are very large birds, as you know, uh, with the family like a vulture. But eagles will not eat anything they don't kill themselves. They only eat fresh food. Now, you know hawks and blackbirds and vultures. You know, every time I drive down the road and there's something dead, I say to myself, don't look. And then I look. And I'm sick to my stomach thinking, why did I look when I told myself not to look? Is there anybody else that looks? Come on. You tell yourself, don't look, and then you go. And I mean, we've seen traffic jams and gawker jams uh, for dismembered deers on the side of the road, and it's disgusting. But anyway, an eagle is very, very particular about what it eats. It will not eat anything that is not freshly killed. It won't eat anything, you know, found in the woods or that's rotten and decaying where other birds will clean that, and that's God's system. So I want to talk to you about what are you eating. It's very important that we feed ourselves on the Word of God. Most of us eat three times a day. <laughs> I'm being kind. Uh, that's not counting the snacking and the grazing, you know, and what do I want something sweet or do I want something salty? Well, I'll dip my pretzel in ice cream. And then I have solved my dilemma of sweet and salt. And so let's just say basically we eat at least minimum two to three times a day. And you know what? I don't know about you, but if you forget to eat, your body will give you signals. Your stomach will growl. You might get a headache. Um, the same thing spiritually. If we don't feed our spirits and we don't eat out of God's word, we start to revert to our old ways. I know I'm not the only one. And so it's very important what we eat. So I want to talk to you about several things in the scripture. Let's see which one I picked first. Is it Matthew 4.4? I think it is. It's, it'll be up any moment. Look at that. It says, Jesus said to him, man does not live by bread alone, listen, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So scripture is food for us. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I remember finding a verse in Jeremiah 15, 16, a number of years ago, and it said, your word was found, and I did eat it, and it was the rejoicing of my heart. Your word was found, and I did eat it, and it was the rejoicing of my heart. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to take a piece of scripture and rip it up and chew it and swallow it. No, oh, I ate God's word today. But it means that I have to get it into my system. When you eat something, it takes hours for it to digest. And then when you need the strength, you have it. Well, it's the same with eating God's word. When you feed your spirit and you eat God's word every day, when you need to run, you'll have the energy. When you need to fight depression, God will help you. When you get weary, you can rise up. But if you don't eat properly, how many of you know? You can get weak, anemic, sick. Look at the, the crisis we have in our nation with our health care. People are sick all around us, and it's because they're not eating properly. Now, I'm not here to tell you to eat correctly, but I made some changes, and I feel much healthier, much better, um, and for me personally, I, I stay away from, if I can, heavy doses of sugar, and flour, I find out that if I eat, like say I go out to eat and there's hidden fats and oils and sugar and salt in the food, I don't feel the same the next day. I actually feel lethargic. I'm so surprised that my body, even though it took all night to digest that food, it made a difference in my energy level. 
How many of you know that if you sit down and you skip a good meal and you just have, you know, birthday cake and ice cream and potato chips and a big Diet Coke, you have to have the Diet Coke with the ice cream. Um, and so after you do all that, I guarantee you, you will not feel as, str as much strength as you would in the morning if you ate something healthy. So we need to, like Jeremiah, I found God's word, I did eat it, and it was rejoicing of my heart. So let me talk to you about what to do. First, we start with milk. I'm just going to talk to you about the way we feed and the way we grow. Every baby starts with milk. 1 Peter 2.2 said, as newborn babies, desire the sincere milk of the word that you would grow thereby. I'm a mother to two, a grandmother to four. And I remember when my daughter was born, I think this might have been a form of child abuse. I'm not really sure. Because when my daughter was born, I read this book by Dr. Spock not the guy with the ears, but a, a medical doctor. And he said the baby was only to eat every four hours. So I'm a newborn mother. I don't want to ask my mom for help. You know, understand, at all of 20 years old, I'm going to take care of this baby by myself. And so if she'd drink a half an ounce of milk and fall asleep, I'd let her cry the whole next three hours because she could only eat once every four hours. And um, so the, she's okay. She's alive and well. You don't have to feel bad. But I did everything by the book. If she was only to have milk four hours and, and not between feedings, how many of you have my second child? Want to fall asleep, sleep. You want to drink, drink. You want to wet yourself, wet yourself. I could care less. I, I was so relaxed. Every person should have their second child first. <laughs> don't you think? Because we just did such a better job. But um, I did, uh, my poor daughter. So I think about how babies want milk all the time. All during the night, they're going to want milk. And so when you're first a Christian, how many of you know, baby Christians need a lot of mentoring. They need a lot of milk. Boy, they get gas, and they don't want to burp, and they're miserable, and you have to work through that with those newborn babies. But there comes a time when, if you've been on milk for eight months, a year, a year and a half, you need other nutrients. And so I remember when I was taking my child off the bottle, what a trauma that was. Um, they made it, but I had to get them off milk. And uh, so then I decided I was going to give my baby meat because the Bible teaches us, and I'll, I'll talk to you in a minute, about the meat of God's word. Now, I'm going way back. Some of you are too young to ever remember this. But they actually sold, I don't know if they do today, congealed meat for babies in a glass jar. First of all, they should have put a cover all the way around it. I really don't want to see what it looks like. But they would have these glass jars, and they would tell you that in this jar was turkey. And it was in a glass jar, probably back in the day, 49 cents. And they sold these, um, it wasn't Tupperware, but they sold these dishes that you would plug in. And they were ceramic. And it had a cold section, a hot section, and a lukewarm section. Is anybody old enough to remember these dishes beside me? Oh, I see that hand. Is there another? So let me explain this to you. It had three compartments, and you plugged it in. And it kept one compartment, did not heat. It kept cold for the peaches, the pears, the fruit. The other one you would do probably lukewarm for maybe some string beans or corn. But the middle would get hot for the meat. And so I remember one day buying this chicken or turkey or beef in this glass jar. And I opened it and it looked just like dog food. Just like congealed dog food. And I thought, oh my God, am I really going to feed this to my child? So it plopped out in one, and I smashed it down, and I whipped it and whipped it and whipped it 
till it liquefied a little bit in the heat and I was ready to feed it to my son. Well, here was my mistake or my daughter. I tasted it. I should have never done that. I had that little teeny baby spoon and I took, and I, I as an adult spit it out. And I thought, now how am I going to get this kid to eat this? So I put the meat in her mouth and she spit it out. I scooped it up, shoved it in. We had a contest. I won. I scooped, I shoved, I scooped, I shoved. So finally it dawned on me, why don't I put the meat in the peaches? And then I can disguise it and get it in her body. So from there on, we had two fruits, not a vegetable, two fruits and the meat. But I knew she had to have it if she was going to grow. And can I tell you that we can't live on milk of the word. We can't just do a psalm a day to keep the devil away. We need to get some meat and get some strength and chew the word of God. And so John 4, 24, they went and Jesus was at the well with the woman and they had gone into town and come back with, and they said, Jesus, you must be hungry. You didn't have lunch. Are, is our uh, system down? Are, where, where do you normally show scripture to people? Okay, take your time. I know the verses. You're okay. So, um, so anyway, in John 4, 34, they come back and they say, because I was going to cheat. They come back and they say to Jesus, um, we brought, you have to be hungry. You didn't eat lunch. You've been with the woman at the well. And this is what Jesus said in John 4, 34. My meat, listen to this, my meat, okay, thank you, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish the work. So let me look at this verse with you for a minute. God's meat, our meat, right, is to do the will of God. Most people will eat half of the steak, but they won't finish it. The rest of the verse said, and finish the work. Do you know how many of us start projects, even for God? We take a little meat here, and we do this, and then we go to something else and something else. Let's do John 4, 34. My meat, Jesus said, is to do the will of him that sent me and finish the work. And so we need to eat the meat of God's word. And then there's a much harder verse I want to share. We go from milk to meat. We know we have bread, Matthew 4, 4. We go from milk to bread to meat. But then there's what the Bible calls strong meat. And that's found in the book of Hebrews chapter 5. And I want to read verse 13 and 14. In verse 13 it says, this is Hebrews 5, verse 13 and 14. Everyone that uses milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, he's yet a baby. Of course, that's okay, babies need milk. But strong meat belongs to those of a full age, mature, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good from evil. If there's ever a time we need discernment, the gift of discernment, it's now more than ever. People have not gotten proper teaching on the discerning of spirits. We think, oh, the minute you say discernment or discerning of spirits, I'm going to see demons and devils. That's not it at all. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us to each one among us there are given gifts of the spirit. One gift is the discerning of spirits. Let me just take a moment here. There are three spirits we have to discern on a daily basis. First of all, there's our human spirit. And that's given me a little more trouble, I think, sometimes than an evil spirit. Because I think it's God and I'm all anxious, but it's my own human spirit. So we discern the human spirit. And then, unfortunately, there are demonic spirits. We need to discern good from evil. Please look at the verse. We're not looking for evil. 
It says those by reason of use have trained their exercises, have exercised their senses to discern good from evil. Strong meat is to find the good even in the midst of evil. Are you following me? And how does God do it? So let me finish the three spirits. Your human spirit, unfortunately unclean spirits, and then there's the Holy Spirit. And so we need to know how to move to strong meat, to move into the discerning of spirits. When you listen to Christian TV, no offense, I mean, I love the Lord, I love his word, but if I didn't have this Bible under my belt, I could be confused by the end of a day. Every person's uh, saying the opposite thing the other person said, and if you don't know how to discern the word for yourself, you can easily be deceived. So we go from the milk and the bread to the meat, which is doing God's will and finishing the work, and then we go to strong meat which is using our senses to exercise good from evil. Now, I'm not here to teach on discerning of spirits this morning, but I can't help but look at the verse and think, pay attention to your senses. We've been taught we live by faith, we walk by faith, but how does God warn us? He warns us in our senses. Have you ever met somebody they looked right, sounded right, dressed right, praised right, and the minute you were around them, you had a knot in the pit of your stomach? I am here to tell you that's God's Holy Spirit warning you and giving you the discerning of spirits. Um, I don't normally tell my business, but my daughter is looking for a job that she can do at home, virtual. And she's worked for many, many, many years in medical, uh, medical systems, and she's looking for a job that she can do from home. And so she found this company online, she put her resumes out, and they hired her, and she was all excited, and she was telling me, they're gonna give me all the equipment I need, you know, the modem, the computer, good money, and then she calls me the next day, and she goes, Mom, I got a funny feeling. She goes, I just, I, all of a sudden, as much as I want this job, and excited as I am to work from home, I don't, I feel like something's wrong. She researched it, and it's a scam. I am so glad they did not get her social security number. They did not get her information. But you know what? God was warning her by discerning his spirits that this job that looked like an answer to prayer, are you with me, was not from God. And so I'm so thankful for the discerning of spirits. And that's the strong meat that we need. So if you want to be like an eagle, you not only will have milk, the, you know, the little daily devotion, isn't that sweet? I'm taking my little milk. And then maybe you'll move to a bread and you'll digest and chew something. But then you get to the meat where God says, I want you to do my will. And I want you to finish what I've asked you to do. And then when you go from meat to strong meat, then you start to move in the discerning of spirits. You start to distinguish good from evil. You pay attention to your senses that God uses. And so eagles eat fresh food. Number three, are we doing all right? Number one, they were created to rule and reign in heavenly places. Number two, they eat only fresh food. Number three, and uh, I'm going to tell a little story with this one, they commit to life. They only have one partner. And again, if you're divorced or remarried, I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. But these animals don't, they commit to life. And so uh, once they, what we would call marry, obviously eagles don't marry, but once they commit to a mate, that's it for a lifetime. And uh, so I want to tell you about their courtship. Now, this will sound a little bizarre in a sermon in a church, but you have to understand what they go through before she picks her mate. And later in the message, hopefully, it'll minister to you. So here's what happens. Ms. Eagle is now looking for Mr. Eagle. 
And uh, so all the boys are around, I guess, you know, hormones are flowing. I'm not sure I'm not an animal, but, but anyway, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. But um, it's that time for her to find a mate. And so all these eagles that want her start to try to court her. Now, this is what she does, and they've documented this. I actually watch TV about this. She'll pick up a small stick, and she'll fly up into the air, and all the boys are behind her. You get it? They're all flying behind her. And she drops the stick, and one of them will come in and swoop the stick, come down to the ground, and he's all that, you know, in a bag of chips. And then she picks up a heavier stick, and she goes up. And she drops it. And one of them gets it and brings it down to the ground. They have documented this for over four and a half to five hours. They will do this. And she is eliminating any of the, I, I don't want to call them men because they're birds, but she's eliminating the potential partner from this. And she ends up, she'll pick up the heaviest thing she can carry herself. And then if he can grab it, and bring it to safety, that's the one she's going to commit to. So this goes on all day. And unless you can catch what she drops, you're not going to be her pick. So now she found him. And they fly up to a high mountain, the highest mountain they can find. And I wish we would do this when we get married in court. I wish we would do this. They look at each other, and they're going to jump off the ledge, obviously. And they're going to scream at each other all the way down ah! to the bottom. And when they get to the bottom, they're committed for life. And I thought, if only we could be more of our authentic self during our dating period, maybe more of us would stay married. Come on now. How many of you know you wouldn't dare burp in front of your partner? Um, but after you're married, blah. You know, um, there's just, just all kinds of stuff. I'll keep it clean. But how many of you know, when you're dating, you're on your very best behavior. I mean, you chew with your mouth closed. You put your fork down in between bites. I mean, you no know, backwash in your drink. It's amazing. After you're married, come on now. I was married 53 years. I have a little bit of, uh, I know what I'm talking about. But because they yell it all out before they last. And so that's how she actually picks her life partner. Now, what they do next, and I want to take a little bit of time on this. What they do next is after they are joined, committed to each other, they begin to build their nest. And I'm sure you all know that eagles build nests high in the mountain. You will not see an eagle's nest on top of a mulberry tree or on top of a parking uh, pole if it's small. They, they build huge nests, and it's always on a mountaintop. Matter of fact, I've got to research this if I ever preach this again. But there was an article online that they found an eagle's nest that weighed one ton. They said it took the birds like 25 years to build this, and it took uh, heavy equipment. Um, I don't know what men's equipment's are thing, but those lift things. To actually get this nest down, it weighed one ton thousand pounds by the time they dismantled it um, and so it was 20 years in the building of this immense 1,000 pound eagle's nest so they build this big nest and you know you've seen it they'll get sticks and and uh, tree branches and then what they do is they take some of their down feathers and they lay it on top of the nest so that the next thing they want to do is have babies but before we get to the eaglets I want to talk to you about building your nest building your dwelling place in the mountain of God. 
And I'm just going to mention a couple. There's no verses for you to look at, but you can just listen. I thought of four. There are many, many mountains uh, in the Bible that men and women of God met God on a mountain. But I picked four that I think are pertinent to our lives. The first one is Mount Moriah. And you know this story from Genesis 22. God said, I want you to take your son, Abraham, your one and only son, Isaac, who you waited 25 years for. And I want you to bring him up to the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And you know, when I read Genesis 22, that story is amazing to me. Because God's asking Abraham to kill his only son. And it said, Abraham rose up first thing in the morning. I would have waited till 11.59 p.m. How many of you know, if I've got to kill my son or my daughter, I'm not going to do it first thing in the morning. I'm going to spend every bit of that moment with them in my arms. And so the Bible said, as soon as the sun came up, Abraham said to Isaac, let's go. We're going up to Mount Moriah. I don't want to get too sidetracked, but if you haven't read Genesis 22 lately, it's amazing. Because he says to his son Isaac, to his one and only son whom he loves, let's go. I'm going to sacrifice you on the altar. So get two men with you. And then I'm going to lay the wood on your back. Now, I don't want to get too, too uh, spiritual here, but how many of you know that whole thing is a picture of Jesus? God's one and only son, crucified between two men with the wood laid on his back. And they go up, and he lays on the altar, Isaac does, and Isaac says, Father, where is the sacrifice? And he said, God will provide himself a lamb. I just love that, because God did provide himself a lamb, Jesus, the lamb of God. And as Abraham has the knife to kill his son, the Lord stops him, and there's a ram caught in the thicket. So the first mountain you and I have to accept is sacrifice that Jesus died for us personally. We have to be saved and born again and give him our lives and realize that God sent his one and only son to die in my place. And I'm so thankful that I've accepted that sacrifice for me. The year was 1974. It was the month of April. I'll never forget the day as long as I live my entire life was transformed by opening my heart and asking Jesus to come in and be my savior. I had tried to commit suicide. I was about to be put into a mental hospital and Jesus touched me and saved me and I'm pretty sane. You know, I'm doing as well as I can. Um, but I am telling you, my life was transformed all because God sent his one and only son to die on the cross for us. And so Abraham and Isaac is a reflection of God giving his only son. And it was a sacrifice. We don't want to hear that in church. We don't want to hear that we have to do without or give up anything. Or, but it's a good thing every now and then to sacrifice something to the Lord. Maybe fast a meal a week and pray. Give to a mission you haven't supported in a long time. There are things working in a food bank or a rescue mission. There are things we can do that might be a sacrifice for us, but God will reward it and God will honor it. So the first nest you build is salvation. You realize Jesus was sacrificed at Mount Moriah for us. The second one is Mount Sinai. And that's where God gives the Ten Commandments, the law. So for me, the second mountain where I'm going to build my nest as an eagle is the law or the mountain of obedience. You know, the Ten Commandments were not optional. <laughs> They're the Ten Commandments where we obey God. If I've done anything in my life, um, well, let me rephrase how I want to say this. People all the time ask me, why God's done so much through my life. I've been ministering to seven or eight nations. I've been to Africa, India, Ukraine. 
I mean, I'm just a, I was just a housewife who fell in love with the Lord and started to study his word. It's been a miracle. But they'll always say to me, you know, how many hours do you read? How long do you pray? What do you study? And the only answer I ever give anybody is Acts 5.32. And this is what Acts 5.32 said. God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. Let me give it to you again, Acts 5.32. You want a life verse? God gives the Holy Spirit to those that obey him. And I think being raised a devout Roman Catholic was a benefit for me because it taught me absolute obedience. It wasn't open for discussion. If the priest told me to do something, if the nun told me to do something, if the older boy told me to do something, I plain and simple did it. So when you talk about building your nest in the mountains of God, we have to learn to obey the word of God. Not just the Ten Commandments, whatever God says to you. I think the New Testament's harder than the Old. In the Old Testament, if you committed adultery, you sinned. In the New Testament, if you look with lust, you commit adultery. In the Old Testament, if I killed you, I'm a murderer. In the New Testament, if I have hatred in my heart, I'm a murderer. I think the New's harder than the Old to live up to. But God helps us obey him because he gives us his spirit. So you want to be like an eagle, you want renewed strength, realize the sacrifice Jesus made for you. And once you get a hold of that, you will willingly want to obey him. I want to please him, don't you? Don't we live one day to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? So I want to obey him in any way I can. The third mountain I thought of is Mount Horab, and that's where you learn to hear God's voice for yourself. If you want to read it, it's found in 1 Kings um, 19. But there was a prophet named Elijah, and God said, go to the mountain, go to Mount Horab. I'm going to speak to you there. And he went into a cave, and he hid himself by himself. And you know the verse so well in 1 Kings 18, I think it's around verse 11 and 12, it says, the voice of the Lord was not in the wind, the voice of the Lord was not in the fire, the voice of the Lord was not in the earthquake, you know, earth, wind, and fire. Oh no, that's a musical, that's a musical group, I'm sorry. So the voice of the Lord was not in the wind, it wasn't in the fire, it wasn't in the earthquake. And then in verse 12, I'm pretty sure it's 1 Kings 19, 12, it says this, the voice of the Lord came in a soft whisper. Elijah, what are you doing here? And I realized that if I don't quiet some of the noise in my life, I'll miss the voice of God because he's not going to scream and yell at me. He's going to whisper, and I need to have my spirit tuned in to hear him. And so you want to build your nest in the mountains? Make sure you, are, you understand the sacrifice Jesus did for you, number one. Number two, do your very best to obey God. And if you sin, when, forget if, let's delete the word if. When you sin, just be quick to turn to God and repent. Because the more we obey him, the more anointing we have, the more Holy Spirit we have, the more strength we have. Obey God, it's so important. And then you'll learn how to hear the voice of God. And I've taught this here, so I won't reiterate, but there's many people I haven't met. God speaks through the scriptures, and he speaks through his spirit. Um, I might tell you one real quick story. I like to tell stories. Let me talk to you about the voice of God. Back in the 80s, before some of you were born, I forgive you. Back in the 80s, the Lord told me to write my testimony and that it would be published. So I wrote my testimony. I was very obedient. I hand wrote the book. I didn't even have a computer. I hand wrote it, and, and then I had a girl type it. And so long story short, I wrote my testimony because God told me to, and he told me it would be published. I'm talking about hearing the voice of God. 
So I sent it to every publisher I could find and everybody rejected it. I mean, every single publisher rejected this manuscript. And so my feelings were really hurt. I was feeling rejected and I thought, I'm not gonna do this anymore. And so I took the book and I threw it under my bed and I thought, you and the bunnies under there or dust rabbits, whatever, can help yourself, I'm done. So a couple of years go by and one of my friends says, um, Gwen, there's a new publishing house called Brentwood opening in, I think it was Alabama, and they're looking for manuscripts. She said, I've been praying, you should send your manuscript to them. Well, I didn't want to get rejected again. But I thought, well, after being under the bed for two years, maybe she's hearing from God because I certainly wasn't listening. And uh, I brought it out and I sent it to them. And they were kind enough, I guess maybe it was about 10 days to two weeks, they called me. And they said, we just want you to know we were inundated with, with um, manuscripts. It might be weeks to months before we even look at your book. Just be patient with us and we'll get back to you. So what I was able to do, which was miraculous, is I let it go. I actually did, I just let it go. So talking about the voice of God. So one night I'm sitting upstairs in my uh, pajamas. I have my little bunny rabbit slippers on, too much information, right? And I'm reading the book of Psalms. And I think I was in Psalm 112. I didn't know I'd be telling you the story. I think I was in Psalm 112. And this is what I read in Psalm 112. The righteous man's heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. He will not fear an evil report. So that was the written word, right? The righteous man's heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. He will not fear an evil report. Then I heard the spoken word. God said to me, the book will be returned tomorrow. I'm like, nah, you've been alone too long. You need to get downstairs with people. You're hearing voices. So I totally, and so I decided, we live where you don't get mail delivery. You have to drive to the post office. I have to drive eight miles a day, four miles up, four miles back to pick up my mail. I don't have rural delivery. So that morning I get up. Now, this is what's happened. I've heard two things. I've heard the written word and the spoken word. The written word is fix your heart, trust in the Lord, the spoken word is the book's coming back tomorrow. So I decided I needed another 24 hours to fix my heart. My heart was not fixed for another rejection. So I decided I'll pull one on God. I just won't pick up the mail. Nah, 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 nah. So I'm, I'm smirking all day long. Like there's no way the book can come back today because I'm not going to go to the post office. Nah, nah, nah. So uh, I'm laughing to myself all day. And my daughter gets home from school. She has to go to the mall to get sneakers for gym class. We go to the mall. We get home from the mall. It's like 10 to 5. What did FedEx put on my front porch but my manuscript? I picked up that book, and I started sobbing and dancing and crying because God spoke to me. I don't know that we get the, the magnitude of the Almighty bothering to speak to us. I wept and danced and cried and I said, God, that really was you. It really was you. The book was rejected. Yay. <laughs> it ended up getting published with several other books, but I will never forget how God, when he says something, he'll do it. And how we need to be ever so grateful and ever so humbled that he would even take the time to speak to us. And so I don't know about you, but when you talk about hearing the voice of God, whenever I hear it, I am humbled by it, 
I am broken. Um, what they kids now they so what do the kids now say? Wait, I work with all twenty year olds. They say I forget what it is, but they're like crushed, ghosted, or whatever. Um, so the point is that God still speaks today, and you and I need to hear His voice. And the way we hear it is Scripture. And listening to Jesus said, my sheep in John 10 know my voice. They don't follow the voice of a stranger. Mount Horeb is important for every one of us. And on that point, you have to go alone. Elijah didn't take anybody with him. You have to be alone. You have to be in a quiet place. You have to be receptive. But God still speaks today. So you want to be like an eagle? You have to know the sacrifice that was made for you. You have to walk in obedience or at least try to do your best. And then number three, listen for the voice of God. And the fourth and final mountain I'm going to pick is Mount Carmel where the fire fell. We need to stay filled with the Holy Spirit and fire. Just because we had a one-time encounter where we got saved or we got spirit-filled, we leak. We need more and more of the Spirit of God. Every day we should pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God, let the fire of God fill me burn things that shouldn't be in me and so those are the mountains they build their nest high in the mountains everybody good on the mountains now number five they have the ugliest eaglets i've ever seen in my life if i was high tech i would have brought you a picture of an eaglet absolutely stone ugly the ugliest little bird i have ever seen but they have these ugly eaglets and the, the nest is all ready for these babies to be fed and taken care of. But do you know, in all of us, there's an ugly eaglet. We'd like to think, oh, I'm so saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. But in all of us, there is a little bit of ugliness, a little bit of immaturity. There's just, so I want to tell you my ugly eaglet story. It won't take long. I got saved in 1974. First thing I wanted to do is put my kids in a Christian school. I had two children. Uh, let me see, 74. I would have had a uh, five-year-old and a four-year-old, and I wanted them in, in a Christian school. I knew nothing. I knew nothing about church etiquette. I, I hadn't been to church in years. I didn't know anything. And so I called this holiness school, and I tell them that I, I want to meet with the principal, and I want to get my kids in, in, enrolled in this Christian school. And so I drive up to the parking lot. Now, I am not exaggerating this. The year was 1974, okay? I had hot pants on. Now, for those that don't know what it is, it's shorts about the length of your undies. So I had hot pants. I had white go-go boots with fringe on the knees. Two white fringes with my plastic pleather white go-go boots with my hot pants with my halter top. Now, for those that are too young, it was a hanky that you tied in the back. That meant my whole back was uncovered. My front was barely covered with a hanky with the hot pants and the white go-go boots, and of course my cigarette had a long holder, and so um, in the parking lot, I get out of the car at the holiness school, take a big drag off my cigarette, put it out, the, my fringes are circling, and I walk in and I ring the doorbell. And when my daughter heard this story, she said to me, oh my God, mother, you must have looked like Carilla DeVille. I said, I think I did. I think I did. So I rang the bell, and when the holiness principal opened the door, she lost her breath. She went, <gasps> she grabbed my wrist and ran me down the hall and threw me in the janitor's closet. This is a true story. 
because she did not want any of her teachers could have had coronary had heart attacks. She didn't want any of the students or any of the teachers to see me. So she threw me in the, in the janitor's closet. And uh, she said, I'll be right back. So here I'm standing with the brooms and the mops, and I don't get, I don't get it, guys. I don't get it. I didn't get it. And uh, so she comes in, and before she could say anything to me, I gave her my testimony. By the time we're done, we're hugging and crying. And she said, you can bring your children here. She said, but Gwen, would you leave through the back exit? <laughs> I said, I will. And she goes, just wait till the bell rings so nobody sees you. So I'm hiding in the closet. The bell rings, I run into my car, and I drive home. And I'm all excited because my kids are going to go to a Christian school. Now, the first PTA meeting, thank God it was nighttime, so I covered myself. Um, but I went to the first PTA meeting in slacks, and I looked around, and I thought, oh, I'm the only woman in pants. The Holy Spirit knows how to take care of you, honestly. And I, next time I wore a skirt, I bought some dresses. D can I just say this? To this day, this woman's in heaven. Her name is Mrs. Champion. To this day, I'm indebted to her because she had every right to ream me out and tell me how indecent I was, how inappropriate I was, how dare I come to a holiness school dressed like a whore, sorry, or a prostitute. And I was neither, but that was the style, and I didn't know any better. And because she loved me and accepted me as an ugly eaglet, we developed a relationship. We ended up praying together. I was there when she had her funeral and went to heaven. Would you do me a favor and be tender to the ugly eaglets? They, we hurt each other. We do friendly fire, and, and they fall away from the Lord. Listen, none of us are perfect. Give, us, give everybody a chance to grow. Amen? Give them a chance. Yeah. So these babies are pretty mug ugly. So now what happens is, they're sitting back and the mom and dad are feeding them. All they do is lay around and open their mouth. Remember when you were first saved? Oh, my Lord. Your daily bread would be the verse the pastor preached that you hear on the radio that you prayed that night. I was like, woo! And then all of a sudden it was time to grow up. I'm like, I don't like this. So what the, the eagle does is she starts to stir up the nest. She takes her talons and gets rid of all the down, all the soft, all the cush, and she starts stirring it up. And they squawk. They don't like it. Um, and she wants them to leave the nest, but they don't want to go. And isn't that true with us? Don't we want the easy way? Don't we want the Lord just to open the heaven, write with fire on the wall, send an angel, confirm it with three people with a red hat? <laughs> it's just not that simple. It isn't. But it's worth everything you invest in it everything you invest so she now has made them miserable and what they have to learn is how to stand and how to balance and that's something every one of us that are mature we remember what it was like when you were trying to balance between this doctrine and that doctrine this wave and that wave just stay here and you'll be grounded so finally what she does now and the verse I have for you if you want it is Deuteronomy 32 11 it says as an eagle as an eagle stirs up the nest so when she stirs it up and makes them uncomfortable, she makes them fall out of the nest. Now they're flying and they can't fly. They're falling and screaming some 10,000 feet. And the father catches them and brings them back to the nest. That's why she picked him. Let me give you a minute. You got it. She picked him because she knew he'd catch her kids. And can I tell you, we have a father that catches his kids, that you might feel like your whole world is falling apart, you're tumbling and screaming, and you don't know if you're going to hit the ground and smash. 
Let me tell you, God will grab you at the very last minute and bring you back to himself. It says in Exodus 19.4, you saw what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings, and I brought you to myself. Listen, no matter what's happening in your world, no matter what you're fighting, what you're going through, God won't let you fall. He will pick you up. He will catch you. He will bring you back to himself. And so just the last two things briefly, and thank you for your time and attention. Eagles preem every day. What that means is it's a self-cleansing. They take, um, in the back of an eagle's throat, there's a gland that produces a waterproof coating. And so, you know, their wingspans are huge, and they'll actually take their beak, and it's hard to do this with my hands and my mic, but they'll take the beak and they'll go over each, each wing feather. And sometimes this can take like an hour. And they get every parasite, every dirt, everything off their wings so that when they attack the enemy, there's nothing to stop them from having victory. Have you ever thought about how could a bird dive under a water? How can a bird dive down to get a salmon and fly with a wet feather? You've ever had a wet feather? They don't fly because they're already coated and it's called preeming. And what it is is personal cleanliness. So let me just throw one verse to you, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. It would do us good every morning to say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew in me a right spirit. Lord, forgive my sins and, and make me a blessing today. And the last verse I want to close with is Job 39. Because eagles <clears throat> attack the enemy. They don't wait for the enemy to come to them. Church, we have it all wrong. Oh, the devil's after me. The devil's doing this. The devil's doing that. Jesus defeated the devil. 1 John 3, 8 said, For this purpose was the Son of God manifested to destroy the works of the wicked one. We should understand that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Stop giving the enemy so much place and making room for him and start focusing on the promises and the power of God. Eagles attack the enemy. They don't wait for the enemy to attack them. And so I want to read Job. Oh, I thought I had it marked. I do. Job. I have it. Or I could just look up, but that's too easy. Okay. Job 27. Here we go. Does not the eagle mount up at your command and make her nest on high? I think we've covered that this morning. Now look at the next phrase. She dwelleth and abideth on the rock. Jesus is our rock. You have to dwell and abide on the rock. Upon the crag of the rock, the strong place, from there she seeks the prey, and her eyes behold afar off. And so the eagle has one known enemy. Would you like to take a guess what it is? Anybody want to take a guess what the one number one enemy of an eagle is? I'll help you. It's a serpent. Gee, isn't that profound? It's a snake or a serpent. And we know all through the Bible that Satan was displayed as a serpent or a snake. Now, there's two ways the serpent can affect the eagle. If the eagle, let's say, is out getting food for her eaglets, the snake can go up the backside of the mountain, get into the nest, and do harm to her chicklets or her eaglets. What she will do is get in the nest and peck him to death. She'll just keep pecking until she kills him. And I do the same thing. It is written, 
It is written. It is written. It is written. You got, you got behind my back when I wasn't looking. You went after my daughter. You went after my son. It is written. It is written. It is written. Many of you know, and I'll give you an update so you can continue to stand in faith. My son, Matthew, my only son, was diagnosed with terminal fourth stage colon cancer. He was given six weeks to live. It was in every organ. It was in his liver. It was in his kidneys. It was in his lungs. And they wouldn't even treat him because he was terminal. They told him to go home and set his house in order. 47 years old, and my son is dying of colon cancer, fourth stage. God gave him a promise that he would live. And we fought with doctors, and we started getting treatment, and I just want to fill you in. This February, next month, will be six years since my son was diagnosed. He has had 47 chemo treatments, four major surgeries, and I would like you to agree with me that he is the heel of the Lord. And these last two tumors in his lungs, he has colon cancer tumors in his lungs, that we do 12 rounds of chemo, which is very painful and long. He's, he's going to be, he started Monday. He'll be on chemo from now till June. The tumors shrink. He has a little bit of time to build his strength back up. And then they, in the past, they've grown and we've had to start over again. 47 chemo treatments. The doctor said, Matthew, you're a miracle. We don't know how you're alive. And he said, I'm alive because God told me I would live and declare the glory of God. So will you, church, just stand with me and agree that Matt, oh, thank you. He stood up. All right, stand up. Stand up and agree with me that we are going to attack the enemy before he attacks us. My son is the heel to the Lord. And the second way the eagle kills the serpent, I just want to tell you real quick. Number one, she pecks him to death if he gets in her space. If she sees him ahead of time, she grabs him, takes him up, and drops him and crushes him on a rock. Yeah! Jesus, our rock of our salvation. Father, we stand together in agreement that Matthew is the healed of the Lord. With long life, you'll satisfy him and show him your salvation. So we come against the lie of the enemy that he will die of colon cancer. He will live and declare the glory of God. And I pray for each of us as we stand today. Lord, you know what areas we need strength. You know those of us that are weary. You know those of us that could easily faint. But God, we're going to do what Isaiah 40, 31 said. They that wait upon the Lord renew their strength. They will mount up with wings of an eagle. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. We thank you for the lesson today that we were created to rule in heavenly places with Christ Jesus far above all power and principality. We thank you that we make our home and dwelling in the mountains of God. We thank you that we hear the voice of God. We thank you that we can preem and, and repent and turn and be cleansed to attack the enemy because we abide and dwell on the rock. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. How many are encouraged today? Yeah, the song came to me during this sermon, and I just want to um, have us sing this song. Um, it's called Oceans. If that's